so you have heard the stories about the line, huh? You think because of that, you know us, know our lives, and have put us in a box to file away. Ah, but what if I told you we aren't much different, you and I, and my story isn't as black and white as you wish it was. I'm beautiful and intelligent and wanted freedom. I couldn't have it by being good. I am a voice doll, and I dare you to listen to my story. I got someone to feed my legs and make a dead man come on. I got someone to feed my legs and make a dead man come on. Hello, my name is Summer, and this is Pain For It. Thank you for being here for episode 16. Today, we will be diving into the final part of my series on the line, the historical red light district of Galveston. Now, if you haven't listened to part one and two yet, I would, you know, recommend going back and listening to those first and then rejoining us here to get into what it was like to be a woman working the line and the men who visited it. Before we get into that, though, if you haven't already, please consider following, liking, and leaving a review. It would help out a lot. And or if you haven't already, heading over to YouTube and subscribing over there as well. Um, also, yeah, if you've been vibing with me and my spicy takes on history, I highly recommend you subscribe on spotify to see the video versions it really does add an, a fun little element to history um also they come out early on sunday mor mornings so yeah make sure you check that out i hope you all are having a good week i am having a pretty decent week i've been watching a lot of scary movies which i'm a huge horror movie lover and uh, yeah, we wa like I, we watched The Menu, which I didn't even know was a horror movie up until I watched it, really. And then um, that was a wonderful movie. I really liked it. And if you haven't already seen it, I, I highly suggest it. It was a unique take on a scary movie. Also, um, we went and saw Evil Dead Rises on Monday. And that was a great movie, too. Very creepy. And if you're fans of the original Evil Deads, the same them. <laughs> it's definitely not campy. It's definitely creepy and gory. So be warned. But it was very good. Worth it. Worth the watch. All right. And if you're watching, you can see little Travis. Um, he's a handful, you know? Kittens. He's going to knock over my, oh, he went through it. I thought he was going to knock over my ring light, but he went through it, so that's good. Anyways, the weather has been getting really nice here. Well, <laughs> I say that, but that's a lie because today it's rainy and cloudy and gloomy, and I think that's how it's going to be all week. But yeah, it had been getting nice um, before 
this week, I guess. But it has been making me think of like maybe filming a vlog um, of like downtown Fort Worth in the historical red light district. But I also don't know how that e- would even look or what, uh, you know, like, I don't know. So y'all let me know if you think that would be something that would be interesting. Uh, I have like a vision on how I would want it to go, but I also don't know if that would come together the way I want it to. But yeah, you let me know. Let me know. Also, in world history of sex work, there is good news coming out of Queenstown, Australia, because they are working on decriminalizing sex work, and they already have a, um, I believe they're, they have a similar model to the Nordic model going on right now. But they are pushing for this year to full de- fully decriminalize sex work, which is wonderful. And it looks like it's going to happen. So good for Queenstown, Australia. All right. <laughs> With that being said, you know what time it is. Grab yourself a cocktail, a mocktail a coffee, or whatever you fancy. Today, I'm pretty lame. I just got a li- liquid IV. I got a fruit punch liquid IV. But you know what? It's early. It's actually not that early. It's afternoon. I didn't have the stuff I thought I did to have a mocktail. So you know what? Here we are with our liquid staying hydrated. Okay. <laughs> All right. You found yourself in Galveston, the playground of the South, and you have definitely been living it up this Friday night, dancing, gambling, and a lot of booze. The bars are closing down, but you don't want to call it a night, do you? You are still feeling yourself vibing, don't want the fun to end quite yet. That's when you reach into your pocket for that calling card. You've been rubbing instinctively since she handed it to you. The card is simple, just reading a name and an address. It's tempting, though. She's been tempting you ever since she handed it to you. Well, if you're honest with yourself, the line has been teasing you ever since you saw the ad for it. It's been the talk of everyone around the playgrounds of the South. Getting into the taxi and reciting the address to the driver, he gives you a knowing smirk. You should feel a bit embarrassed, but you had enough booze in your system to make you confident, so you smile back and enjoy the ride. As the cabbie gets closer to Post Office Street, you feel the air change, the line. It's alive with women hanging out the windows, catcalling seductively out to random men that pass by. Your gaze at first is just taking in the entire scene. That is until your eyes land on a tall, beautiful woman with chocolatey, silky brown hair and green eyes. You take it in that she has just a robe draped over her, enough to keep the mystery alive. Your cab driver, though, he keeps driving. Your eyes take in the big, enormous white house in front of you. As you approach, the cab driver slows. You look up at the big house and read the address, 2625 Post Office Street. Welcome to Mary Grouchy's house, 
he says. The district wasn't hard to find, nor was it hidden in plain sight. Everyone in town knew how to spot the houses on the line. They were all painted uniformly white with either green or battleship gray painted shutters. During the day, if you went down to Post Office Street and didn't know any better, you would just assume that this was a regular old neighborhood. It was when the sunset that the line came alive. The shutters would be thrown open and women would be displayed out the windows in all sorts of states of undress. Even though everyone in town knew how to spot a house, they definitely didn't just rely on word of mouth. And throughout the 70 years the district was open, it learned just like any other business how to grow with the times and how to market themselves. In the beginning, the most common way to advertise your house was to list it in the annual city directionaries. Now, the city directories were just a place to list houses and businesses in the city, you know? So, of course, it held the normal alphabetical listing of residents and businesses, but it also contained a section that where it was organized numerically by the street addresses, where if one wanted, they could pick out, you know, certain blocks, like, for instance, the blocks between 25th and 29th Post Office Street, and just scroll through what it had to offer. It would list the addresses and names of the businesses and or homeowners. A lot of the higher class or more popular madams owned their own homes, so they would just list their addresses and name because that's what they were known for. For the madams that didn't own their own homes, they knew they still needed to list their business within this directionary, so they would create a business name to list their rented homes under. This is why the directionaries, you'll see businesses listed within the district like the 72 Club or the Mirror Club. However, the district wasn't always actually contained within the few designated blocks of Post Office Street. In fact, at its peak, houses and clubs were spread throughout the town. The houses of the line would have to do more than just blend in. Most of the business districts were two stories. The first floor it would be a bar or a nightclub, maybe a restaurant. But if you knew what you were looking for, you would find a side door that would lead upstairs to brothel rooms. These locations would have two addresses usually with two different names listed in the directionary. Like for instance, at 11, or I'm sorry, 114 20th Street was home to a very popular nightclub called the Rainbow Club. Its more hidden side door was listed as 116th 20th under the name Rainbow Room. At Galveston's High, houses and clubs were all over the city. They worked simultaneously with the town to drive business and money into the economy, especially when the Marcio brothers were had power. Like I said in part one, Sam was a great businessman, and while he controlled a lot of the underworld of Galveston, he hired a brilliant marketer to showcase Galveston in all of its glory. So it is no wonder that at its highest point for Galveston and its economy 
was when the Marcio family had control. They wanted to give the people what they wanted, if they wanted it, but they also wanted to take care of their town and the people within it. They didn't just market gambling and stuff like that. Sam and his like criminal family brought in bikini contests to the beach. They brought like just anything adult friendly fun <laughs> was there. They they really marketed it as like Texas's Sin City. So yeah, when Galveston was at its best, so was its vice. The advertising for brothels and working girls didn't just stop at ads listing their businesses and addresses within this city directory. As the competition of the district grew, so did the creativity of madams and working girls in their marketing strategies. Madams and the dolls working would eventually go on to create calling cards and flyers. These were often handed out on the streets and left in bars and restaurants to be handed out. However, this was something that mostly applied to women working in higher class brothels and or to the women making a lot of money to be able to afford the extra cost of getting cards or flyers made. The cards and flowers would be pretty simple, just reading the name of the person or madam with the house address listed. They would sometimes have prices or services listed as well, but a lot of the girls would carry like a pencil pen with them and just kind of fill in the blanks on their cards. Some madams would also allow their girls working to go out and hand their cards outside of the district. This was strictly something they only did when the madams of the houses okayed it. This was something only higher class girls could get away with, madams as well, because if you weren't dressed up in the proper attire, you were going to most likely get in trouble. Um, a cop was going to stop you. So you had to be dressed properly and uh, very, very discreet with um, advertising that way. Another advertising method that the madams used to draw in business was putting signs or business banners out in front of their houses to call attention to what was being offered. Signs like girls, 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 or the, the one that read the best time in town. Madams and working girls who could afford it would also occasionally put ads in the paper. The ads would list the available girls and their specialties and briefly state information about the brothel's location and hours of operation. Again, this was something that only happened when the district was open or publicly open, I should say, because like we learned in part one, it never really truly shut down. It just had to go underground at certain points in time. Nowadays, businesses use email lists and newsletters as a form of advertisement. It was no different back in the day for our working ladies. However, instead of digitally, they had an actual mailing list. They would send out direct ads to potential clients to try to call them in. They also did direct referrals were um, another way the madams would use to advertise and bring in clientele. 
This was something that also is still used today in marketing, getting referred to by a friend, an acquaintance, or a business associate that has already used the service, so they're recommending it to you. That was kind of like what the madams did. Or they would offer like um, <laughs> deals. I'm not sure what kind of deals. Was it like two for one? No, that can't be. I don't know. But they did offer deals. <laughs> the district also got a lot of help from bartenders and cab drivers. Cabbies, though, found a way to profit from it a little bit more than the bartenders did. But it wasn't the madam paying this price, though, because in a lot of the stories prior to this, we've seen madams would pay off the cabbies and bartenders, not in Galveston. The girls had to pay off the cab drivers themselves, and sometimes it was a pretty steep price that they wanted. Cabbies would bring girls some clientele and... um. They would actually sit out and wait <laughs> until the business was done, and then they would, you know, scurry over to the girl to get their cut. So yeah, if a cab driver got someone who was maybe shy or didn't know where to go or a little nervous but knew he wanted to go somewhere, if you paid that cab driver off, then he would probably bring you said client. But it would be for a big, big payout for them. Hence why a lot of girls tried their damnedest to avoid that method of exposure. If they didn't have to pay off the cab drivers, they definitely tried not to. Bartenders would also play this game as well. They would refer clients to certain women or houses. Bartenders also probably got paid a fee too by the ladies, just not as a steep, not a steep, you know? So what was the district like if you were a John or a client? Well, it definitely depended on what kind of client you were. A regular, a one-timer, a businessman, military, maybe even the politician that shouldn't be seen. It really depended on what type of client you were and how much you were willing to spend for your good time. If you were an islander who visited the district often, you probably had yourself a favorite house and a girl slash maybe girls. It was most likely a mid-tier house. Think of this as your favorite local drinking spot. If you were a regular and had been there enough, you can at the very least recognize everyone that works there, have a favorite server or bartender, and most importantly, liked the vibes and prices. So it wasn't quite that different for regulars of, or island regulars, I would say. They probably had their favorite like spot and they would go there often. The line had it all. You just had to know how to find it. Once you found the place you wanted though, the initial check-in phase of the process is very straightforward. You knocked on the door, you waited to be inspected by the housemaid. Yeah, the housemaid definitely helped out checking the johns she had the i would say shittier end of the deal because they would do their own versions of sti checks and she was the one who had to deal with them all and so i'm sure she had to piss a lot of people off sometimes and had to deal with a lot of pissed off people <laughs> so after you were given the okay um from that initial little check-in you would then be cleared, the madam of the house, the host, 
Well, she would take you into the parlor room. Now, this is where things differ, depending on the type of house you chose. Some of you would walk into a parlor room that was bare and almost waiting room-like. Not a lot of amenities, maybe a single wooden bench, kind of straight to the point, no selling any sort, not really selling any sort of fantasy, which very much could do just as well. This could do just as well money-wise as a fancier place. As I said, your experience would vary depending on what it was you were looking for. You know, it could be that just a quick, all you needed, like roll in the hay, like quick, get it over with and moving on, you know? And you didn't need any of the fancy stuff. In that case, you probably liked a place like this. That one that just, you checked in, chose, paid, got off, and then you left. Truly no strings attached. However, if you needed more and you were willing to pay for the fantasy, well, it was there for you too. So if you were at a nicer house, you would be greeted, taken into the parlor by the madam of the house, and she would show you a good time. She would encourage you to relax, chat it up a bit, kind of figure you out, kind of figure out what you needed, what you were there for. And from then, from there, the girls would come downstairs. The madams would encourage you to buy drinks for you and the girls because no matter the furnishing inside the house, it normally always had a bar. The bars of the house almost exclusively sold wine, whiskey, and beer. Parlor rooms also would normally have a coin-operated music box that the madam would suggest to you to put on your kind of vibes. Settle in, relax, mingle. And that is exactly what would happen if you were in the parlor room. You weren't always um, there alone. So if you weren't like an exclusive guest, maybe like a politician or a businessman who could pay to close the house down, within the parlor house, there would be other patrons doing the same thing, you know? (laughs) However, they don't want you to linger too long. So, you know, things would get pretty suggestive pretty fast. So yeah, it was honestly pretty typical to purchasing any other kind of service, for the lack of a better way to put it. The clientele got what they paid for in terms of vibes, amenities, and catering to your needs. But what I really care about is what a typical day for a gal on the line was like. And the funny thing is, it's, it's just like with the gents traveling through the district. If you it really depended on what kind of doll you were. Certain rules applied to mo- most houses and brothels. That is that the district opened up at 6 p.m. So that was roll call or clock in. If you were on that week, you better be there. Now, when the brothel was open, you were on the clock and you spent part of your shift in the windows, advertising and catcalling, the plenty of men walking by. The rest of your shift was spent in the parlor entertaining guests. This is where you made much of your money, especially if you were new to the district or maybe hadn't been back for a while and didn't have your clientele kind of 
built up so that you you know knew people were coming so in the parlor house was where a lot of the time is spent and where you how you made money the houses stayed open until 2 a.m most nights that is unless they had a special client or a high roller who was not ready to call it a night and had the funds to keep the party going once the houses closed they would be they would do their own version of it. They're like accounting for the evening and everyone would get paid out. Accounting would sometimes be an issue for some houses for the reasons that some madams weren't the best at accounting, resulting in them being shorted or overcharged. Just like in other houses, madam would charge their girls for room and board on top of the percentage she took, plus any other random charges like toiletries or snacks and shit all houses did have a type of an accounting system in place and that that was because of course madams and dolls would want to keep track of their funds and making sure everyone was paying for the good times to be had on top of that though houses had multiple entrances and exits causing it to be a bit of a pain to make sure that all the clients paid for all services being acquired and that was kind of like also part of what the madams did so while they were in the parlor house they spent their entire night in that parlor house they kind of observed and took note of what everyone was spending where a lot of the houses in the district had a very similar system for accounting at the bottom of the stairs the housemaid would sit at a desk in front of the stairs as a doll would go up with her date they would track it in one house, the madams used towels to track. One of the girl when once the girls went upstairs, the housemaid would give her a towel. She would record the name of the girl and the time. Once the doll collected the money upstairs from her date, she would then send it down to the housemaid to collect. They would do this a few different ways. Some had a pulley-like system where they would put it in a box and like pull it down the stairs. <laughs> push it down the stairs and then others would just you know throw it down to them so just money flying everywhere in these houses at the end of the night the doll's towels had to match up to the number the housemaid had on her ledger so that's how they kept things straightforward when Galveston was at its high and club owners were also running brothels within their establishments, they had a more they had a much more strict system. The gents would have to pay before entering. They would receive a ticket. From there, they were allowed upstairs to the dance floor and bar. And of course, the girls. That system, though, was mainly applied by brothels downtown, being run by a much bigger budget. So the brothel closes 2 a.m. They get their payout for the night. Then what? Well, that depends on who they were as, you know, a normal person outside of their job because they were all just people, too. Some, so some of the girls most definitely partied. Some were in work, work mode and they had their eye on the prize. And some, I'm sure, did what a lot of us do when getting off work. They just relaxed. <laughs> See, the district was seven days a week, like most businesses. But unlike jobs nowadays, they didn't work the traditional five days on, two days off schedule. In the district, most dolls worked three weeks on, seven days a week, and one week off. 
It's often referred to as a very grueling work schedule. I kind of see it both ways though, to be honest. I can't see why that would, I could see why that could be daunting to some, but I can also see the benefit of a schedule like that. And like all jobs, some employees probably loved it and some didn't. On top of that, a lot of the girls didn't live in Galveston and they were on tour. This was to help with keeping things fresh. Oh, I think a storm is blowing in. (laughs) So yeah, that was to help keep things fresh. Like we've mentioned in previous episodes, a lot of the districts and brothels were on a circuit, allowing women to rotate in and out. It also helped keep the clients from becoming too attached. A lot of the women on tour had been recruited from bigger recruiting agencies. Of course, these agencies were targeted and accused of kidnapping. However, in a survey, it showed that all of the women who had been recruited from these agencies in California, New York, and Philadelphia, not a single one, one not a single woman was there against their will. Though that did not stop the spreading of lies and misinformation. So most of the girls who worked the line as a doll didn't stay or live on the islands. A lot of the girls came with a goal in mind, money and freedom. So when they were, so when they were there for like at least three weeks, they would spend at least some of their days out marketing themselves, taking their calling cards and making bookings. So that way they could fill up most of their time slots they wouldn't have to hustle as hard in the parlor house because once you're in the parlor house, you're, it's kind of like doggy dog world out there. You know, you had to hustle hard in that parlor house because you were competing with every other girl in the room. So, yeah, <laughs> because, yeah, the parlor house was where you made your money and um, it kind of took that out of your hands if you had to rely on the parlor house. So if you could go out and market yourself and make, you know, bookings, knowing you had those times scheduled, you could kind of relax a little bit more or not have to worry so much about that night. So if a lot of the women who were on tour, they would work really hard, especially the ones who had their eye on the prize and that was money for whatever reason, (laughs) they just needed it you know, make it and get out. And so they wouldn't spend their days doing much other than like out there marketing and working hard hustling. A lot of the women were well-traveled as either it suited their lifestyle to be on the move, but also because working girls had to be where the money was. Plus on top of that, you had to be ready for the uh, the political climate to change at any given moment in any city you were in. It happened overnight sometimes. It was like, Yeah, we've seen it in part one. Galveston would be all for the district and then someone somewhere else would be like, you got to shut this down. And then the next day they'd have to pretend that they didn't work cool with it anymore and they would shut it down, kind of. In Galveston, they never really shut down their district. It always was there. They just put up for rent signs and pretended like they were closed. And the politicians of the city would just like look the other way. But in other towns, they were more strict about it. So you had to kind of always be on the move. So this worked for women who loved to travel because it suited them personally. Uh, Some of those who 
did just work for themselves and love to just be in and out of cities would often work out of motels and hotels, staying for pretty much as long as the staff at her location would tolerate her. So, or until she got bored and then she would take off to another city. Working in the district though, did make the job a lot easier than working alone, especially when working under a madam that was well-established. So even, so even though the girls still had to pay room and board, plus a 40% of their income, that number was fully offset with the amount of money they were actually making nightly. A vice doll in a brothel could entertain up to 25 Johns a night, making upwards to $420, a week, which nowadays is about 5000 a week. So, you know, the girls were living it up. The fines they paid didn't really affect those that worked hard. This was a job in which you really had got what you put into it, just like for the guys who were paying, you really got what you put into it. Although some madams were known to be pretty strict, mostly because they had to. A lot of the girls had high admirations for their madams that they worked for. They, of course, were like mother figures to them in order to be successful both as a madam and a girl. You had to throw yourself fully into this career. Even in, even in the city that accepted vice dolls like Galveston, it was still very socially isolating for you. Because, you know, people are judgmental as fuck. So if they see something that doesn't fit in their world or mind, they cannot handle it. <laughs> Though, how the dolls handled the social isolation in Galveston was, again, much dependent on them as a person. Some were okay with coming into town, keeping their head down, making their money, and leaving. Others, though, were flashy, flaunting, and proud, making sure to be seen in the highest of fashion, driving the nicest of cars, not, not letting anyone shame them for their choices in life. And you know what? Good for you. Good for you, girl. That really allowed you to stick with those that were in the same boat as you. So a lot of the women were close to their madams and built a motherly-daughter relationship with them because a lot of the madams would make sure that they were there for them mentally, not allowing them to get lost in some hate. Well, how did the girls get along with other girls in the houses and district? They, for the most part, got along. Madams would al not allow fighting between the girls, although sometimes it did get catty, and they really did have like a sisterhood and a lot of fun within the house. Although, like all sisters, they could be bickering and catfighting, but nothing too wild. Truly, it was like a sorority and having sorority sisters. If a new girl came in who was looking a little rough around the edges, they made it a big thing for her doing a makeover and lending out clothes to that girl. And they were also big about playing harmless pranks on their regulars or callers who called in the house. They often would answer the phone fun, like stating something like, thanks for calling the funeral home. How can I help you? So overall, they tried to have a good fucking time within their house. 
So it's 2 a.m. It's been a long day and they want to go out. What did they do when you were ready to let loose after your job? Well, the district itself had bars, saloons, and places to go that chose to stay open late for the working girls to let loose afterwards. For instance, the Italian diner that was on the first floor of the Orlando Hotel, which also contained a brothel, the diner, though, kept hours specifically for those working girls, opening up from 5 p.m. to closing at 5 a.m. One of the most popular spots among the district workers was the Ambassador Club, located at 23rd Street between Post Office and Market Street. And they would have live bands until 4 a.m., and none of the musicians nor the staff minded the late hours due to the facts that the girls ordered well, tipped well, and always brought in a crowd. A lot of the women of Vice, I know you can hear it because I can hear it, but we're going to just keep going. A lot of the women of Vice put a lot back into their appearance and clothing, so Galveston shopkeepers would also love to see a girl from the district walking into their shop. They normally would be accompanied by their madam or a housemaid, and they were loose with their cash. In fact, a lot of the popular clothing stores allowed girls working from known ma madams to have an open charge account. They never had to worry about getting their money. Clothing store owners would also often send samples to the newest trends to the houses to keep them and the girls all up to date on what was new. Other activities they would do off the clock are shark shockingly pretty similar to what women do nowadays. They would go to the salon, get their hair did, nails done, shop, and spend the day at the beach, or even take day trips in their cars. The nice thing about being a doll in Galveston is that the girls were widely accepted and kindly taken in to most establishments because the town knew they had money and they were willing to spend it and the town was willing to take it. Your money was good there. Though a day in the life of a girl working the line looked pretty similar to anyone working, it could have its downs as well, like any other job. Mainly the three categories were pregnancies, I don't mean to laugh, pregnancies, STDs, and raids. Now, getting pregnant really could put a damper on things. And since we're talking historically here, there was this was a time when birth control was not an option and condoms were very hard to come by. And a single women weren't allowed to get them. Like, actually, women in general were just not offered condoms. And so it was considered a bootlegged item for women to get and you could get in trouble and ticketed if you were found with a condom. They did their best though to make sure they protected themselves and they, yeah, they did their best to make sure that they protected themselves, but that didn't mean it didn't happen. They also had their ways to take care of it and you know, that always wasn't the safest options back then either. Also, most girls working in the house got regularly checked for STDs and were incredibly cautious about this, though that also doesn't mean it didn't happen on occasion. With doctors having a lack of knowledge in the field of STDs, it could also often be misdiagnosed or treated, and the medicine and cure for some of these were like rough. 
However, the line had a trusted doctor that would pretty much send all of its girls to if they came down with a little problem. But the biggest threat and bad time they faced were, of course, the raids. Because even in times of tolerance, the district was always on high alert for signs of raids. At any given moment, the mayor or police chief could want to make some money for the city or even just himself. So they would rage down on the district. A typical fine for a doll would be up to $25. If she was actually arrested and charged, though, she had a much bigger uphill battle ahead of her, a very expensive one at that. Not only did she have to pay a fine, but she was also then forced to pay a lawyer, which they would charge the girls outrageous prices to defend them because they knew they had money, so they were assholes about it (laughs) also raids and arrests at your house definitely meant that your name would be printed in the newspaper and used as a weapon or a token for the politicians or chief of police to flaunt about you know as like a look at me look at all i'm accomplishing re-elect me at times when the newspapers and media were used as a primary weapon against the district you better believe things were twisted adjusted to fit a reformer's narrative however at one time when a police raid had taken place and they had hauled a couple of dolls into the police station one was waiting for her madam to come pay her fines and to be released, she got interviewed. She was eating a chocolate bar bought to her by uh, the mayor, and she states, why don't you print this on the society pages for a change? We are getting to be celebrities. And to be honest, they were kind of, because no matter what you thought of their career, they had everybody talking about them around the world. However, everyone was talking about them, but no one was talking to them, asking them any sort of opinion on their own career. Propaganda, Propaganda wanted you to believe that the district and the ladies in them were bad, outcasts, troublemakers, and fallen women did nothing good for anyone. But no matter how much they tried to shun them, outcast them, bury them in shame, our vice dolls left their mark on history enough to leave the breadcrumbs of what it was truly like living as a girl on the line. Life, history, and being a person is weird. Diving into history, especially a history as controversial as long and as long as this, selling sex, shows you something not unique to history. No matter how much we want to put things into a neat box, we want the world to be black and white. Unfortunately or fortunately, it just isn't like that. Oh, and also, I don't trust the media. Don't come for me. Listen, it's bad. It's always been bad. It's bad, okay? (laughs) Anyways, back to the girls of the line. They really did just work a vice job. That is all. And they just saw it as a job. They needed it for survival, life. They found it rewarding or just for a means to an end to pay for school. Just like other jobs, some found their home. Anyways, back to the girls of the line. 
they really did just work a vice job. Just like all jobs, some found their home in the district, going on to become madams, or some retired and moved on, and some lost themselves to their own demons. Which means the girls on the line weren't as different as you and I. They were just people, you know, working, living, and just, you know, trying to navigate life just as you and I would. They truly wanted us to hate sex workers, however, but like Ruth Kemper said, I believe they have a place in our society and they always have and always will. But damn, they really want us to hate them. Who is they? <laughs> I'm not even sure I know exactly, but the real tea is, damn do we love to be angry and damn does the media love to make us angry with each other. Media since its beginning has served a purpose and it is clearly useful, but it's also used as a weapon, a tool in a weird war over power that is constantly going on. So when the world turned its weird power play towards the sex trade, media played a big part in helping bring fear into the everyday people. And if it was not fear, then it was rage. They needed you to be angry and feel passionately one way or another because someone on either side needed a vote. So of course, media is going to play a huge role in this because they were the line to the people. It's the media's job to get you fired up. But like any weapon or tool, they aren't always used fairly. And that doesn't change when said tool is turned towards the sex trade. It is a real known fact to me that the journalists and media, media were spreading misinformation about what daily life looked like as a doll and what the girls were. They had turned a blind eye or just plain out refused to acknowledge anything that didn't fit that narrative. Vice dolls were bad. Even if everything said differently, even if it's even if it was bringing in so much money for an economy and the townspeople were even like, we're good with it. They, someone did not care. <laughs> so even though the city's economy and people benefited from the ladies and the general public had a very relaxed look on it, media was cruel and mean, just mean as fuck towards the girls on the line only helping to push the girls of the line deeper into social outcasting. But through all of this, the media war on the women of the night, they also allowed the women to cheekily allow them to leave their legacy seductively sitting in the past, just teasing you enough with just enough to remind you that life on the line as a doll wasn't as bad as they really wanted you to think it was. The ladies on the line accidentally left a mark on the world that even they themselves probably didn't realize how lasting and impactful it was to society and history. At first glance, diving into Galveston today, you feel that beachy fun that is waiting for you just down on the seawall. But if you allow yourself a moment to get sucked into the past, you may find yourself in a world that, if you allow it, will tell you its girl's story, the way they have always wanted it told. The good, the bad, and the ugly. But also, the glamour, the freedom, and the power. That's brings us to an end for a little journey into the line, the historical red light district of Galveston. 
which was once the South Sin City, a place where adults could go to let loose. Now it's a shell of what it once was and what could have been. Still a beautiful beachy town with a story to be told, if you're willing to listen. I hope that you enjoyed diving into the line and its history, helping bring the light to history that society really, really wishes they could just sweep under the rug and have no one ask any questions. Anyways, I hope you enjoyed this series like I did. Don't forget to follow, like, and leave a review. Check out the video versions by subscribing. And until next week, I hope you have a great one. Goodbye. I got something to feed my legs on. Make a dead man come on. I got something between my legs, I'll make a dead man come out.